Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Peter talking about Step 3. Afternoon everybody. I'm Peter, I'm an alcoholic. Trying to work out what to say now. (coughs) You left me two paragraphs out of four four pages. Does the whole of Chapter 5 up to Step 4. Anyway... um, that's all right. It was wonderful. Wasn't that a wonderful share, Steve? That was fantastic. And I'd like to thank Di slunk up next to me at, uh, where were we? Sydney at Roundup. And, and a mate of mine, Gary, said, oh, get him to speak. You know, and I know Gary really well because he doesn't like to speak. <laughs> so he's always finding someone else to speak. <clears throat> anyway. Um, I'll do the best I can with what I've got left. Um, Okay, we agnostics. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. How many of you in the room, that's obvious to you? Good. I'm I'm feeling a lot better now because it was... That wasn't obvious to me. Uh, But where and how are we to find this power? Um, Well, that's exactly what this book's about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Not might, will. How cheeky is that for a stockbroker? (laughs) That means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. Um, if you if you want to pick two things that alkies are not real good at, it's spiritual and moral. <laughs> uh-huh. So no wonder it's controversial. <laughs> uh, we're the masters of immorality and and lack of spiritual growth. Well, I was anyway. I can't speak for you, but I'm sure you'll get a chance to speak for yourself at some point. From this point on. In the book, alcohol's never spoken about again. I don't know whether you know that. I've got, I'm full of useless information here in, in the sides that I've picked up over 43 years from, from people a lot wiser than me. And um, fortunately, I wrote it down. Um, and um, so <clears throat> I'm not going to, if you haven't heard my story, then that's your problem. Um, <laughs> Basically, uh, I, I was a functioning alcoholic, not a very good functioning alcoholic, but um, I, I used to be an air traffic controller when I was a drinker. And, um, and uh, that's worse than Jetstar. <laughs> uh, anyway, <clears throat> and... Uh, so the nature of the beast is that air traffic controllers are quite pragmatic people. That's supposed to be sensible and uh, sensible and, and reasonable about most things. That, that's how they pick you in the psychoanalysis. They, they must have missed me on the way through. But, but in, in areas of, of that kind of work, I was sensible and reasonable. You, you can't help but be. It's a defence job. You've got to defend yourself against two aeroplanes meeting in midair. That's the whole objective. So, 
Um, you know, which you should be glad about, right? So we, we're defending ourselves before we're defending you in the plane. Um, <clears throat> but uh, alcohol sort of tore me apart in my career because I couldn't keep going to work all the time. You know, I mean, I ended up when I when I stopped drinking, I had <clears throat> no sick leave left. No, the only leave I could take was leave without pay. I'd used up all the leave, you know, and I went missing for about six weeks one time And when I was in a training gig and they didn't even know I wasn't there. I became that invisible. Um, but I was on a bender, so it didn't really matter to me. Um, but um, anyway, I came into a AA. I got sober and stopped drinking and... Um, Got uh, this pragmatic mind and mind started to work then. You know, it's like, okay, God, we don't need him um, because, of, you know, I had five years of boarding school with the Christian brothers. I spent more time on my knees than most people spend in their lifetime, so I don't need any more of that. And by the time I was at university and, you know, holding up Vietnam War placards, um, I realised there was no God because how could God do this to the world? You know, all this stuff that's going on now, it's just taken a different form now. And um, <clears throat> so I came into my um, into AA. I fell in love with a fellowship, which is a good thing and not such a good thing because by falling in love with a fellowship, that meant I didn't have to do anything. Uh, other than come to meetings, I did four, about 500 meetings in the first year, and it was uh, I was in love with AA, and I did exactly what I used to do. If I could get 500 meetings at the pub, I'd go to the pub 500 times in a year. Um, so I just switched the bitch for the witch, really, and came into uh, and and I got extremely well. I mean, I'd never been so well for so long in all my life. I had 12 years of active alcoholism from 17 to 29, and I had one year of no drinking. And it was just wonderful. I got three promotions in my job in a year. They all realised I, I was safe again. You know, you're not going to put somebody in my condition in a position of responsibility where it's possible that you could lose a plot and so they moved me around into safer areas and that's what people do who don't understand alcoholism they enable the alcoholic to get worse uh, and um, anyway I, I, I rocked along in here got sober in Melbourne rocked along for about a year and a half and uh, I was starting to go nuts you know, but you can't share that with anybody because they think you're doing so good, and um, and you you know you could you could have a who has anybody here ever had a sponsor that they didn't tell them the truth? <laughs> uh, I I created this persona with my sponsor, who was actually quite a cagey old dude. I won't tell you his story, but it was pretty amazing how he even made it here. And um, and he knew he he knew that I was not well, but he also knew that I wasn't willing to change yet. And what older members tend to do is they just let you get sicker. Uh, 
and they'll, they'll confront you, but if you don't respond, then they go, well, you just need a little bit more sickness there, boy. And, uh, and I, well, I started to go downhill. And anyway, I went to my first convention in Canberra in 1978. And uh, this guy got up and he was, you could picture this, 1978. That, so who wasn't born in 1978? Okay. <laughs> um, some of you were only five, six years old. But, but, but basically, um, this is Australia, right? This is how you're going, mate, country. And this American comes here and they give him one hour to speak at the National Convention. I mean, there's a resentment right there. <laughs> Waity de fester. Uh, most of us got, what do you get? The hook goes round your neck in Australia, around about 12 minutes. That's about the extent of, except in these circumstances now, where you get 20 and no more, right? And he got, he got an hour and he, and he got up and he shared his story. And, and I'd never heard anybody talk about the 12 steps like he did. And he talked about his seven years of of, um, of illness in AA, and then he talked about how um, how he took the did the program, and <clears throat> teacher appears, students ready. I walk up to him at the end, and I think I'll I'll give him my story, and he'll empathise with me, and he'll. Uh, he'll just give me one of those, what we love, one-liner that does it all for you in one day, you know. And, uh, and, I, and I was, um, I walked up and I, I started to talk to him. I started to tell him how I felt, which is the first time I'd really done that before. And uh, <clears throat> I told him I was restless, irritable and discontent. I'd read that in the book. And, and, and why I was. <clears throat> and I wasn't stupid enough to tell him I was different, which, which is what we all think, but God forbid if you tell your sponsor you're different. And, um, and he looked at me and, and he said something to me that nobody had ever said to me in my life before. He said, so what's your relationship like with God as you understand him? And I went, um, I don't have one of those. And he said, it's obvious. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, I'm not going to ask why it's obvious anyway. He said, it's obvious. He said, look, I, he said, I can't help you until you read Chapter 4 tonight, come back to see me tomorrow. He said, what you're looking for in there is a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. But read the chapter, come back and tell me what you think, which is open slather for an alky, isn't it? What do you think? <laughs> anyway, I read, the, I read it, and for the first time in my life I read it, from, from start of Chapter 4 to end of Chapter 4, and there was a lot of stuff in there that I'd never seen before because I hadn't read it. And um, and I and I, he said, so what did what what was the what was the teaching there? What did you get out of this? And I said um, that you can pick your own god. And he said, that's right. He said, 
do you know do you know what it looks like and I said no he said do you think you need to know what it looks like and I said no I don't think so I said it says I can be willing to believe I can I can believe or I can be willing to believe I don't even have to believe I just have to be willing to believe he said so I think you're in that category he said um, why don't you um, go back home after this and try and reach out he said the be- communication is the beginning of all understanding he said uh, you knock on the door God will open the door he said but I can't do it for you he said so so open the door so in typical dramatic alcoholic fashion <laughs> I made my plea to the higher power in the shower because I didn't want my wife to hear me and certainly didn't want anybody else to hear me and I, I, I'm in the shower and I go, okay, right, so Wesley, this is a guy that challenged me, he said, Wesley said oh, I can make communication with you and I'm doing it here and, uh, okay, what have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> that, that was the attitude, right? Anyway, I, out of all that, I got a slight sense of relief that I'd never had before in my life. Because I've been disconnected for 31 years, like totally disconnected, deliberately disconnected. And I better fast forward. I've got about seven minutes left, I think. I'll fast forward to uh, 62, where I don't, I don't think you've quite got to 62, Steve. So. <laughs> um, you read the third step, it says turn. If you're educated the Christian brothers, there's a big difference between turning and handing. Most people say, I hand my life over to God. It's not what it says. It says turn. So this is a book. I turn it over. It doesn't look the same, does it? You all got that? That's a book. You turn it over, it doesn't look the same. That's what happens when you turn yourself over to God. You don't look the same. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have some metamorphosis where somebody goes, my God, you've changed. <laughs> but, and the other word that people miss is care. Not to hand myself over to God and go, because I've heard, I've heard some reasonable theories in 43 years in AA <laughs> about spiritual growth and stuff like this. But what people do is they go, well, I handed myself over to God and he hasn't done anything with me, so I'm just waiting for him to do something. Okay? Well, didn't God give you some ability to reason and a, and a sharp brain? And when you're sober, you're even sharper. If you're a bad crim- criminal and you drink, you can be a really good criminal when you're sober. <laughs> I mean, that was the analogy the old fellas used to talk about how good they were at panhandling when they got off the grog. And uh, I've... Um, so when I, when, I, when I hand myself, I, when I turn myself over, I, in the morning I just I'll put myself in the care of God and then get on. Now, if I screw up, it's not God's fault, right? If I screw up, it's because I'm, I'm not... God-focused. I'm not God-sufficient. 
I'm self-sufficient. I'm a, I'm a master at self-sufficiency. It's what I did for 31 years. It's taken me years and years and years to even be aware of how manipulative I can be, okay, uh, and dishonest, and all, all the other defects that, that manifest themselves as you get more sober. Okay, so one of the great things about the first five to ten years of sobriety is you don't even know how mad you are and you don't even know how bad you are. And then when you get into 15, 20, 25 years, you go, oh, that's probably not right. <laughs> so, it's a, you know, you just adjust the dials as you go along. Here. Um, okay. Here's something I'd suggest you do. Uh, just a suggestion. When it's page 62, it says selfishness, self-centered, that we think is the root of our troubles. Where it says we, right through and our and all this, just put the word I in your book and read it to yourself. It 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 really it's a, um, it's embarrassing actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, think just read you one. Paragraph. So my troubles, I think, are basically of my own making. They arise out of myself. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self when will run right, though I usually don't think so. <laughs> Above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. I must or it kills me. God makes that possible. And that's a good deal when you think about it. Um, you're going to kill yourself, but God can help. Okay, And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Um, this whole thing's all about self-centred um, behaviour and, and overcoming that selfishness and self-centredness. Now, you know, I wish I could say I'm rid of that now. Uh, it can return in a heartbeat. With the, it only needs about four or five things to come together like a perfect storm, and, and I'm in the middle of it again, you know. I could give you many examples of, of when I... when I um, Just stupid things I've done in 43 years. You look back on it and you go, what were you thinking? And generally, you weren't thinking. And And, and the other thing is... Who were you consulting when you did this? Which is, which is, uh, I did made one really silly mistake. Cost me a million dollars, and um, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money unless that's all you've got. You know, if, you, if that's all you've got, it's a lot of money. If you've got two million, it's only half of what you lost. But I lost a million bucks and pulled a whole bunch of people in. That's another thing I'm good at. You know, if we're going to go over the cliff, I'm going to take you with me. <laughs> Uh, whenever I come up with a cockamamie idea and run it by my wife, she goes, you do what you want to do. In other words, not this black duck. I'm not getting in your boat. Right. Okay. Uh, this is all a bit spasmodic, but, but I just want to um, cover one other thing here. I wrote down the side here, self-imposed crisis. And this, my final point, 
you'll know you've arrived in sobriety when you take responsibility for yourself. Okay? Uh, that's my go on it. I mean, I didn't take responsibility for quite a while. Um, and the reason I didn't take responsibility was I didn't want to. And then I became aware that everything I was bringing down on myself, this self-imposed crisis, was the main reason why my life was unmanageable and uncomfortable. When you stop sabotaging yourself, uh, it's amazing how well life fits the bill. So, finally... Uh, I rang Wesley when I did the third step and he said, well, okay, it's time to do the fourth step. And I said, now? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, man, I'm just bathing in my spirituality here. He said, it's time to do the fourth step. And and I said, "That's, that's quite soon after taking the third step. And he said, it says there, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. He said, have you ever seen a spaceship at Cape Canaveral launching slowly? <laughs> he said, so so start the process. So that that's what I did. And uh, a lot of other things happened after that. So thanks for listening. Information about the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available at stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au.